You're listening to audio from NC Worship, the Sunday morning worship gathering of Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. So we're going to be this year teaching through the book of John. And, and we decided to do something that I have never personally done in pastoral ministry, and that is to take an entire year and just slowly work through uh, a longer uh, book of the Bible. And uh, through much prayer and consideration and lots of study already, I decided that, that, that what God would have for us for this year is to examine, to think about, to dive into, to enjoy, to explore, to learn John's gospel. And uh, one of the reasons that I picked it is because of the, of the purpose of the book. And so if you're in the book of John, uh, look, look in John chapter 30. The purpose is, I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verse 30. The purpose is written by John all the way near the end. Uh, and if you have one of our Bibles, it's on page 907. Maybe you're new to the Bible or you just don't know how to get there quickly. 907, uh, John chapter 20, verse 30, gives us the purpose of John's gospel which is one of the reasons I picked it, because I thought, we need this. We really do. I mean, our, our city needs this. Our families need this. Our neighborhoods need this. Our schools need this. So, so we're going to just, just listen to John throughout the year. So here's what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the things that we're going to look at this year, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an awesome purpose statement, right? So this, is, this year we're going to be looking throughout John's gospel, and uh, it's going to provide for you an opportunity to go as deep or as light as you want. You can do something as little as just come and sit and listen to the sermons each Sunday. But you also ought to consider uh, reading on your own during the week in preparation for the upcoming sermon. And you can find different study tools, and we'll introduce you to some of those throughout the year. But one of the things that we wanted to provide for you today was uh, John's, John's gospel in a way that you could put up maybe on your refrigerator uh, somewhere. So that little rolled up piece of paper that you have, you don't have to unroll it. But if you were to unroll it, uh, it, it says that you, may, that you believe, what does it say? Somebody look at it. Um, that, that you may believe that you may have life. Okay, I'll get it by, you know, December of this year. So um, that you may believe that you may have life, which is John's purpose. So if you were to open up the entire uh, John's Gospels right there. So put it on your refrigerator, put it on your mirror, put it next to your bed. Uh, I would not recommend putting it on your dash, you know, because you wouldn't be able to see. Uh, sometimes you like to do that, put a memory verse on your mirror in your car or something like that. Be very careful. Uh, but, but, but take it and enjoy it and experience it with us this year. This is going to be an awesome, awesome year. Okay? One of the questions that, that, uh, that I was thinking about as I considered uh, what, what message to bring this morning, the verse, first Sunday of 2014, was uh, what, what do these people need, you know? And uh, like, what do you need? What do I need? And, and so I did what any uh, theological heavyweight would do in a situation like this. I Googled it, you know? <laughs> I went to the internet and I said, what do I need in 2014? Uh, and uh, it's amazing, you know, 2,423,000 articles came up in 12, se- you know, 12 seconds or whatever it is, you know. But I did, I Googled, what do, what do I need in 2014? 
And I found uh, some things that uh, you could probably um, identify with. You know what we're going to need this year? Food and water. We are. We're going to need food and water. In fact, for a 20-year-old man who weighs 175 pounds and six feet tall, you're going to need around 1,976 calories every day this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little heavier than 175 pounds, but some, somewhere, you know, I'll figure mine out. Or, or if you're five feet eight and weigh 160 pounds, you're going to need 1,789 calories. You know, all of us need at least about 64 ounces of water a day. I mean, this year, you're going to need water to survive. In fact, you can survive uh, for quite a while uh, without food, but you cannot survive for very long without water. You're going to need water this day, I mean, this year. And, you know, you, you know they, they say, as a side note, this is for free, how to figure out how much water you're supposed to drink. Uh, take your weight, divide it in half, and that's how many ounces you're supposed to have every day. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> What else are you going to need? Well, because of the food and the water issue, because most of us are going to consume more calories than we need, you're going to need health insurance this year. In fact, when I said, what do I need in 2014, most of the articles talked about health insurance. Thank you, Obama. You know, I mean, it's like there's lots of stuff on there, but you're going to need health insurance. Whether or not you want it, you're going to buy it this year in some form or fashion. And you're also going to need exercise this year. I I, uh, believe deeply that your, your, your body is your most valuable asset uh, in your life, and so uh, you have to take care of it. You're going to need exercise this year, and we're going to be challenging you uh, in, in those, those kinds of things also. Uh, you know what you're going to need this year for a lot of this? You're going to need money. Can I get a witness? Is anybody going to need some money in 2014? Yes, you're going to need money. You're going to have to pay for gasoline and the insurance I mentioned and utilities and and, uh, food and all of these kinds of things. You're going to need money. I mean, you needed it in 2013, which is why this year you're also going to need tax forms. And I was reminded of that as I was Googling, what do I need? And it said tax forms. You need a... a This is really dumb. I'm glad my wife's not here. I've been embarrassing her. You're going to need a 1040. You're going to need a form 1040. You're going to need a, or, or a shorter form 1040A or, you know, whatever. Okay. You're going to need maps this year. You're going to need clothes this year so that you don't get arrested uh, as you're going wherever that map has taken you. You're going to need a lot of things this year, but you know what you really need this year? Here's what you really, really need. And this did not come up on Google. You need a close relationship with the Lord. You need to walk closely with Jesus. Some of you are going to have what you would consider to be a great year. Others of you are going to have something happen this year that's really going to be hard for you. I mean, I can think back over 2013. We as a church experienced some really awesome things. We, we ordained and sent out a guy that's now the pastor of a church is being replanted, which is part of our vision to, to, to support church planting in the inner loop of Houston. Uh, but we also had somebody in our church die, which was a great loss for our community. So in the midst of all of that, the good and the bad, the exciting and the not so exciting, the wins and the losses, you know what you really need? You need Jesus. That's where I want to start the year is just say to you, you need to walk closely with Jesus. I am a pastor. My passion, calling, my mission this year is to help you walk closely with Jesus so that you can experience the peace of life with Jesus. Because that's where it's at. That's what you were created to, to be connected with God and to experience the life that he's called you to until the day where he decides to take you to be with heaven, in heaven with him. You need Jesus. And so 
as we look at John's gospel, what we're going to do every single week is just go, this is who Jesus is. And here's how we respond to him. This is what he's like. And I know what will happen. I know if you listen, if you pray, if you come ready, if you're, if you're, if you're consistent in your viewing of Jesus, consideration of the claims about Jesus, I know what will happen. You will walk closely with Jesus, even if things get tough. You will. And so this is what we're going to do. And to begin it, we're just going to start in the first 18 verses of John's gospel. So would you stand to your feet? We're going to read these, eight, I'm going to read these 18 verses, and then I'm going to try to tell you what they say. All right? John chapter 1, here we go. Let's, let's just begin enjoying John's words about who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, begin placing Jesus within a historical setting. But the gospel of John is unique in that it, it begins with this theological prologue. You see, Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus that connects him to David and to Abraham. Mark starts with the preaching of John the Baptist. Luke has a dedication of his work to Theophilus and follows with the prediction of the birth of John the Baptist. But John begins differently. It's almost as if he's saying, I want you to consider Jesus and his teaching and his deeds, but you will not understand all that I'm about to say in verses 19 of chapter one to the very end, unless you understand that Jesus is the word who became flesh. His deeds are significant. But you must understand that the person who, was, who came to earth in the form of a baby and grew up to be a man we call Jesus, his, his history, his timeline began before that little baby was born. 
John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is, is like the foyer to the rest of the gospel. And so today I'm inviting you in as if I were inviting you into my home, to the kitchen table. You would first enter into the foyer. I would invite you into that and I would introduce you to my, to my home, introduce you to the place where the most meaningful conversations happen, which is around the kitchen table oftentimes. John is writing that you may believe that you have life. Now, the key verse in this first 18 verse section is in verse 14. Look at it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we've just celebrated at Christmas. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Now, in these 18 verses, with that as the centerpiece, that idea that the word became flesh, there are really five truths. Now, these 18 verses, if you were to go and just find all the books you could about these 18 verses, you would not believe how many books have been written about these 18 verses. They're significant, they're rich, they're deep. And so to be quite honest, it's very difficult for me in the next 15, 20 minutes to explain to you uh, all the just wonder that is found in the truths of these 18 verses. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you five things that, this, that these verses reveal to help you to see Jesus more clearly. And you know, I will say before I give you those five truths that uh, it's really important to understand who Jesus is. As I've said, what you need this year is Jesus. Um, I, not, I don't just mean I need you to say, yeah, Jesus, he's great. But I need you to see Jesus for who he is. Because there are a lot of people that would acknowledge Jesus as an important historical figure, an important person. You know, the Muslims recognize Jesus as a great prophet. So if you were to talk to a Muslim person and you were to say, do you believe Jesus is important? They would say, yes, we ought to respect him and and love him and not do anything that would dishonor him. The Buddhists believe that Jesus was an enlightened person. One of my, uh, a guy who's becoming a very close friend is not a uh, born-again Christian and is more Buddhist. And he would say, I, I really love Jesus. In fact, I think Jesus lived in such a way that we all ought to aspire to. He was centered. He, he experienced um, nirvana. And, you know, uh, he, he, was, he was really an enlightened person, and I want to be like him. And you say, well, what about people that don't have religious sort of position, religious position? Even atheists. A reasonable thinking atheist would, would admit that Jesus is a revolutionary. I mean, Jesus was born into a very poor family in a very unimpressive area of the world at a really insignificant time and has, has risen to be the centerpiece of the most uh, popular selling book in all of history. So even reasonable thinking atheists and the reason I say reasonable, because certainly there are some unreasonable that would somehow try to argue that Jesus didn't even exist, which is just ludicrous. But reasonable thinking atheists would say, yeah, Jesus was a revolutionary. They may not recognize him as Messiah, as Savior, as John is going to argue that he is. But Jesus and who he is is significant. But what I want for you to understand is that John's gospel reveals Jesus as God in the flesh. He's more than a mere prophet or more than a good teacher or more than the enlightened one more than a revolutionary, he is God in the flesh. And he was sent by God to rescue sinners from God's wrath. So this is our aim. And uh, we, we see a little bit about this in, in John's 
first 18 verses here. So five things, here we go. First of all, we see that the word, W-O-R-D, the word who became flesh is the man we call Jesus. Now, if you read these first few verses, you will not see the name Jesus there. And, and this, is, this is important. Um, but what we ought to do is we read the rest of the gospel and even down into verse 17, we can look back and go, okay, when John is saying the word, the being that he's referring to is the person we call Jesus. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, the Old Testament law, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The world needed a savior, needs a savior. And John is basically teaching us and those very first readers, listeners, that Jesus is the savior the world needs. He's the savior and the king through which grace and truth is revealed. So when John refers to the word, he's he's talking here about Jesus. Now, second point, the word, the being we call Jesus, existed prior to the birth of this little baby that we named Jesus, okay? This is very important. Jesus did not just begin, or the, the person that we call Jesus did not just begin at the birth, but Jesus has existed forever. Look at verse one. In the beginning was the word. Again, we know that that's referring to Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, this can be mind-boggling, but just consider John's words here that the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was with God the Father, and he was God. It's, it helps us understand what the scripture reveals as a triune God. Now, Hang with me here for a second. This is a challenging way to start the new year, but something that you must begin wrestling with and thinking about. God is one being in three persons. You are one being, one person. God is one being in three persons, the Father, the Son, who we call Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so what John is arguing here is that this this person, the Son of God, has existed always as one of the three persons of the one being God. Uh, it's possible to misunderstand this. Um, The Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, have misinterpreted this passage um, to teach that Jesus was a God. He was one of the gods rather than he was actually God. So it is possible to misunderstand this, and unfortunately, people are led astray by it, by misunderstanding of it. But what John is saying is that Jesus, the person we call Jesus, has existed co-eternally with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. One being, three persons. This is why later in John's gospel, in chapter 20, verse 28, he acknowledges Jesus in this way. My Lord and my God. He acknowledges Jesus as God. Jesus is the second person of the triune God. Third point. The word, which is maybe the way well, the word is God, God's way of communicating to humanity. So Jesus is God's way of communicating to humanity. The actual um, root or the Greek word translated into the English word, the word is logos. Okay? Um, 
And, and the word, the logos, the word logos, the idea of logos is used commonly uh, in different religious persuasions in the ancient Near East during the you know, time that, that these ideas were, were happening and this book was written. And so there were philosophical systems that used the word logos, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, you don't have to, it's okay. Um, but it, the word logos is used for a wide number of reasons in several different contexts. And, and so we have to kind of get at, well, why did he call Jesus the word? Why, why did he translate the word logos as word? Well, to get at it, we must understand that in the rest of his gospel, he refers quite often to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, this idea of the word, uh, it's a different Hebrew word, uh, it, it's connected to God's activity in the world. In fact, there's three kind of main things that the word that is used in Greek is logos, but it's a different word in Hebrew, it's debar. Um, there are three things that, that God does through this, through this word uh, to involve himself in humanity, okay? Three things. He's, he's active in creation, he's active in revelation, and he's active in deliverance. So in the Old Testament... John is drawing on the activity of this, what, this idea that's translated logos and then translated into English language word. He's drawing on God's activity into the world. So he picks the word to help us understand that when Jesus came, it's God's way of communicating with us. It's God's way of, of getting involved with us in creation and revelation and in deliverance. Do you understand that? I know it's kind of heady, but I'll just give it to you for your consideration. It's through the word that God communicates something to his people, uh, which is why John chose this title, okay? So the word, or Jesus, is God's way of communicating with us, which makes it even more special. All right, fourth thing. The word, Jesus, created all things. Now, this, now get your mind around this. The word, Jesus, is an agent in creation. Verse 3 of John chapter 1. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. So Jesus, the, the person that's walking on the earth, that's embracing the marginalized, the sick, the, the poor, the hurting, the one that's rebuking the religious leaders, this person that we have historical record of uh, has existed eternally and was involved in creation. Paul says about Jesus that all things were created by him and for him. Colossians chapter 1. And in him all things hold together. The writer of Hebrews says about Jesus that he is the one through whom God the Father made the universe. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. He's the beginner, the originator, the ruler of creation. Now, this is really important as we begin to talk about, like, okay, so when Jesus came to the earth, this is God's way of communicating to us and involving himself in our lives, entering history personally, physically, that this this person was also involved in creation. And so I think it's one reason, I don't know about you, but if there's ever a time when I get the opportunity to see a beautiful landscape. It's difficult to find a beautiful landscape in Houston, right? I and mean, the guys over here that go to the skate park, 
I know you would disagree because that is a beautiful skate park. So maybe when you walk out there and you see the beautiful skate park, or maybe you can think of a visit that you made to Colorado, or some of you, uh, one of our dear friends here uh, lives in Florida and was in Florida over the break. And maybe you saw the, the, the vastness of the ocean. Um, what happens in your heart when you see something just really beautiful in creation? You go, ah. Oh. There's something about it that's divine, right? There's something about it that stirs in you an affection for a creator, the creator. You think to yourself like, oh, it's like a worship. I grew up in Oklahoma. The first time I came to Houston in 1997, and somebody took me to Galveston. I had never been to the ocean that I could remember. I walked up to that seawall, and I looked, and I thought, ah. People would say, really? You? <laughs> really? Like, don't get in that water. I'd say, oh, it's so beautiful. And you could hear the waves and you just sense the vastness and the power and the, and the strength of this created thing. It stirs in us worship. Do you know that God is personally involved in the creations of things through Jesus? It stirs in us worship. Maybe another creative thing that could stir in you worship is the, the face of a little baby. There are times when I look at my kids, and over the course of the last couple of weeks as I've been able to spend a little more time with them, there are times when I look at them and I'm just like, yes, oh, God, they're so beautiful. Thank God they look like their mother. You know, they're so beautiful, and their skin is so soft and just perfect, and there's no pimples yet, you know, and, and, and their eyes, they have beautiful, I mean, I just, their eye, you know, everything about them, and there are other times I'd like to, you know, bury them in the backyard, but, but there are moments, you know, where I'm just like, you're so good, and it's stirring, like, thank you, God, for this little life, I mean, we have a lot of procreating going on in this church, and so it's fairly regularly that I get to see a new baby, and, and just see that little baby and just go, yes, oh, thank you, God. This is, I, and the reason I draw this point out is because when we think about God, generally we think about creator. Think about someone who's big enough and powerful enough to, to, to create things that move us to worship. Jesus was there. Jesus is there. Still involving himself in creation. Here's one last thing. Fifth thing that we see from these first 18 verses is that the word, remember we call this the word, Jesus. He is the source of life and light. Verse four and five. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the life and the Delight. Now, I want to make one note here because these first 18 verses in verses 6, 7, and 8 bring up this man, John, which we'll talk about more uh, next week. But one thing that John says about John the Baptist is that he's not the light. And probably because when this gospel was written, there were some that were, that were saying that John the Baptist was almost as significant as Jesus, the Messiah. And, uh, and so John is saying, no, no, no. John the Baptist, his role, and again, we'll talk about it in weeks to come, was to introduce the world to Jesus as Messiah. He's not the light, but Jesus is the light. He's a source of life. Let me go there. And, and I mentioned 
his involvement in creation, so that's not hard to think about him being a source of life. But, but what I think John's saying here is that Jesus is the source of spiritual life. Not, not just what goes on out here, but what goes on deep down in here. And, and this is really good news because as humans, we are spiritually dead and ultimately spiritually blind. Jesus is the remedy to this because he's the life and the light. Now, this idea of Jesus is the life and he's the light, there's a connection here that's really important. And I want to draw this out here for a bit. The life relates to the light in a couple of different ways. Um, One is, in the meaning of these words, is that the light, in one sense, enables us to see. So if you walk into a dark room, you're looking for something, unable to find it, and light is cast into that room, you're able to see what you've been searching for, right? Not difficult to understand. Jesus is the light that shines bright to allow us to see truth. This is who Jesus is. He's the life and the light. The other sense in which Jesus uh, is a light and how that relates to life is that Jesus uh, is the light that gives us knowledge. Not just helps us to recognize truth, but gives us an understanding of truth. There's an inward lighting up, an inward illumination that Jesus gives to us We no longer have to be blind, but we can see. The Bible says that the hearts of unbelievers is veiled. They cannot see Jesus as Messiah. But what Jesus does, he comes on the scene, and he is a light that gives us life. We're blind without Jesus. And here's what we get to see. We get to see Jesus as glorious. I mean, with Jesus, it's not just like, okay, now I can see uh, so that I can make better business decisions, or now that I can see so that I can uh, know which team to root for, or now that I can see so I know, you know, which colors match in my living room. You know, not that, I mean, not, those things are okay in terms of importance, but what I'm talking about here is he, he gives us an understanding that he is glorious. When people do not see Jesus as glorious, it's because they've not been enlightened, they've not been given the truth or received the truth that Jesus is glorious. It's one reason that, that Jesus, uh, or what John says here, is that, that he's both the power to see and the splendor seen. This is Jesus. John is not that guy. Nothing else gives the kind of light that Jesus can give. I mean, this is how we are. We, we look to other things for light. I mean, as silly as it is uh, for me to r- reference the fact that I went and Googled and said, you know, what do I need in 2014? That's sometimes how people operate. What, what do I need? Let me turn on and see what um, Dr. Phil says I need. Or, or let me ask the person across in the cubicle. Maybe they can tell me what I need. And what I want you to know that none of those people are the light. Now, if they point to Jesus as the light, they have some to offer you. Jesus is the life and the light. He is what you need in 2014. He is. God forbid something were to happen this week and we were not to gather again in this way. I'd be quite satisfied to know that today what I've told you is that Jesus is the life and the light. Your heart 
can be changed by Jesus. Now, there are two ways of responding to this according to John. You can reject it. Verse 10 and 11 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You can reject it. You can reject Jesus as a source of life and the light. Or you can accept it. You can receive it. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you receive Jesus as for your life, as a source of truth, then, my dear friends, then you will be born of God. What a way to start 2014. Now, some people might hear that. Maybe you hear that and you think to yourself, well, I hear what John is saying about Jesus. And you hear me saying what John is saying about Jesus. And I'm telling you, I believe what John is saying about Jesus. And you might think to yourself, well, I am... I don't receive or accept what these other people are saying about Jesus. Maybe what you think is happening is, is John has a misunderstanding as to what, who Jesus is, and so he's just writing this in error. Or maybe you think that I have a misunderstanding as to who Jesus is, so I'm preaching this in error. But I want you to know that not only do I believe it so that I speak it, and not only does John believe it so that he writes it, but Jesus said these things of himself. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. So what you are rejecting or receiving is not what I say about Jesus or what John says about Jesus. You're rejecting or accepting what Jesus says about himself. And what I want to encourage you to do is to accept it to believe it. What a way to start a new year. What a way to start a new life. Is to accept that Jesus is the source of life. You know what we'll learn throughout this gospel is that Jesus is a savior. In his behavior, we, we have evidence that he is the one that has been promised to the Jews, and to the rest of the world throughout the Old Testament by prophecy. We'll see that Jesus uh, is a revolutionary. He, he does things in ways that, that uh, no one, no rabbi, no teacher did in this day. We'll see that Jesus claims things about himself. He identifies himself as the I am. Um, just like we read about in the Old Testament when God reveals himself as the great I am. He says that I am the the bread of life. He said that I am the, the gate. I am the gatekeeper. I am the shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the light of the world. He's going to say these things about himself. And let me tell you something. As we understand and get into this and learn this, here is something that will happen. Our acknowledgement or sort of mental assent of these truths will begin to seep down into our lives. And you know what will happen? We will get to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ in ways that you never imagined possible. So no matter if your year is filled with blessing or filled with something that you would consider to be a curse, you will walk closely with Jesus. And this is our aim. This is where we're going this year. And I pray that this happens starting today. Would you bow your heads? Thanks for listening to this message from Neartown Church. 
If you want to talk to someone about what you've heard today, please visit neartownchurch.org and click the contact button.